Welcome to TheOpenWord.org, featuring the teaching ministries of Alan Schaefer. Currently, Alan is serving as an adjunct professor of theology at Moody Bible Institute, as well as leading almost weekly classes with his local church. With over 3,000 hours of recording since 1988, TheOpenWord.org contains theological studies, biblical surveys, homemade videos, and even small glimpses into Alan's personal life. We invite you to a source for verse-by-verse exposition of nearly the entire Holy Bible at TheOpenWord.org. Father, thanks so much for tonight and for being here. Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us now that we may understand your word, know it. And it would be not just information to us, Father, but it would be changing a changing thing in our lives, that we would change our lives accordingly to what you teach us. Thanks so much for this time, this fellowship, and your grace for us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're in First um, Corinthians chapter 6. Um, chapter 5 dealt with dealing with immorality in the church. And again, the big picture item there is that as believers, we are to be very, I guess, very firm in dealing with believers who claim to be to be saved and yet live in sin and not that way with the unbelievers. Because the unbelievers, of course, what do you expect, Right. I mean, as a Christian, can you expect an unbeliever to live like a Christian? No, you can't. Um, It's a futile kind of activity. But if someone claims to be a Christian, they're held to a higher standard. God expects them to to live according to his word. And as a family of believers, we are to care for them. We are to deal with them when they fall into sin. Not with a censorious, hateful, you know, better than thou attitude, but with humility, with care, with concern. We want to see the, them uh, repent. We want the best for them. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 here. In chapter 6, he hits another major issue that um, the Corinthians had to deal with. And, of course, I think John would be very well much aware of here, suing one another, suing one another. And just just to set the background of how this worked in those days. And, and you see examples of this in the book of Acts. Remember in Corinthians when Paul was, um, not Corinthians, in Acts, when Paul was in Corinth, and Gallio first became proconsul there? Mm-hmm. What, what did the Jews do? Remember, how did, how did they, what did they do with Paul? Well, they beat, they beat him without trial. No, that was Ephesus. And Philip, that was Philippi. What do they do? Where do they drag him? They drag him um, to the temple. No, there's no temple there. Oh, they drag him in the arena, didn't they? No, not the arena. That's Ephesus. Did they take him to Rome? No, they didn't take him to Rome. That's a fourth missionary journey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they took him to court. They took him to court. This is really bad, you know? <laughs> I was waiting for Jamie to give the right answer, and he just sat over there and just shut up, just didn't know. Yeah. They took him to court. Remember when Gallio was pro-counsel, they dragged him down to Gallio and made accusation to try and get 
him to do something about Paul. Well, the way it worked in those days is if you had a dispute with somebody, you'd take them down to the city, to the city square, wherever it was, and there um, you would get your case adjudicated by the by the leaders of the city. I mean, that's how you did. That was sort of the way you did court in those days. Today, you know, it takes you through three months to get on the docket and everything else. You know, back then, you just basically took your case down to the city square or whatever, and usually you got it heard within a very short period of time. You'd make your case, and there the law would be um, dispensed, all right? And if you had a dispute with somebody, the way you did it is you'd drag them down there, you'd haul them down, and you'd make your case before the judge, and then there would be judgment rendered. And Paul is saying, and that was just, by the way, that was normal operating procedure back then. I mean, that's just... Anytime you had a dispute, you would just do that. And so what, of course, the Corinthians were doing is the same thing. I mean, they didn't know any better. Um, if they had a dispute with someone else in the church, another brother, for over, it could be over anything, really. Um, they'd drag them down before the Bema seat, the judgment seat. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Dare you do that? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Um, Paul is coming out with a with a club here pretty quick. And saying, what are you guys doing? Hauling other Christians, other believers down to the civil courts. Um, to settle your disputes. Can't you do that yourselves? Can't you take care of that yourselves? Why are you allowing your your disputes to be judged by the unrighteous? All right. Now, just, just to understand, you know, in a grander picture here, what kind of disputes were these, do you think? Petty. 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 We're not talking here about, you know, this guy murdered my wife and I'm taking him to court or this guy, you know, committed some heinous crime. That's not what's in view here. This is petty disputes between two people. He owes me ten dollars. He didn't pay me. And I haul you down to court to get my ten bucks or whatever it is, you know, and uh, this was pettiness. And, uh, and why do you think Paul is so upset about this? Why do you think it's an issue? Because the outsiders, the Christians, were infighting. Number one, they were infighting. They were allowing it to cause problems. But why else? Yeah, really, really was good testimony, isn't it? It's really good testimony to um, haul another Christian before the civil courts. Okay? And Paul is saying here, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? In what sense do we judge the world? Or will we judge the world? In the millennium, we will judge the world. We will be the ones. Now, the idea of judging here is to, to you know, apply the law, to apply, you know, the, the, the legal code. We, that's part of our reward as Christians is to rule with Christ. We're going to be part of the governmental structure in the kingdom. And we are going to rule the world. And the question Paul has is, if you're going to rule the world, why can't you rule one another? And if someday you're going to be in charge of ruling or judging the world, 
And then it says here, this is interesting, do you not know that we shall also judge angels? Now, people have gone hog wild on this one. Within the context, what's he talking about here? In what sense do we judge angels? In what sense will we judge angels? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Do we judge angels now? No, we don't, right? In spite of what Gloria Copeland tells you about telling your angel to go get money for you, um, that's not the way it works. Um, we are not a judge in that sense. Yeah. We're governing in the sense that we would need their services in Yeah. What are we going to do in the kingdom? We're going to rule with Christ. Okay. Now we're going to be perfect, right? But we're going to rule and we're going to reign with Christ. And part of our duty as ruling and reigning with him is that most likely we will have the assistance of the angelic hosts who are ministers of, of God. They, they, they perform his, you know, his assignments or whatever. And in that sense, we will be in the kingdom. We will be over angels, not in the sense of judging them in terms of their eternal destinies. That's some guy has this idea that somehow, you know, we're going to be part of the, the judgment of the, of the fallen demons. And we're going to be involved in consigning them to the lake of fire. You know, that whole, that whole bit, that's God's business. That's given to God in Christ. Um, we're not going to be any part of God's punitive judgment in that sense. All it means here is that we are going to have rulership over or authority over angels as part of our governing duties. Yeah. <laughs> but but part of part of our job in the in the in the kingdom is going to be going to be that. And what Paul is saying is that if we are going to have that kind of authority, that kind of responsibility, can't you deal with your own little petty differences? You know, why are you hauling somebody down to the court over pettiness, over small things? All right. Now, you know, some have, and, and we're, you know, I'm, some uh, some people say, well, because of this passage here, that means that a Christian can't sue anybody. In other words, as a Christian, I couldn't. Let's let's say I, the, uh, you know, a doctor had some gross malfeasance, obvious malfeasance, and um, you know, I was disabled for the rest of my life. I'm not allowed to sue for damages. I'm not allowed to sue for malpractice or you know, if somebody, you know, maliciously hits my car and, and, and totals that I'm not allowed to go to court to try and get my, you know, payment for the damage to the vehicle. Do you think that's what Paul's trying to get at here? No. No, it's not. It's the interpersonal petty issues within the church. Paul is not, what's not in scope here is the the legal the legal code outside of the interpersonal disputes. Paul is not saying you're not allowed to go to court because what did Paul do 
when he was thrown into prison unjustly. He appealed to Caesar. He used the legal system to make his case. All right. That's not what this passage is saying. Now, I think as a Christian. Now, now, now having said that, as a Christian, what should temper our use of the courts? Depends who you're suing. Depends on who you're suing. And if it's a brother, then seek alternatives to the court. Or forgive them. Or, take, or yeah, take the laws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me let me throw out some uh, scenarios here. Let's kick it around the room and see where it lands, all right? Um, I'm driving down the road, and I've been drinking, although I never drank in my life. And I hit John's car and total it. What recourse does he have against me? Or what recourse should he have against me? If he's not hurt, you are responsible for repairing his car. And I tell him to buzz off. Well, he should come after you. Did he see the fish sticker on your trunk? <laughs> <laughs> that got tore off in the accident. If you tap his car, you're responsible to replace it. But I'm a Christian. He's a Christian. He's not supposed to you sue me. You're responsible to repair his car. But he's not allowed to sue me. He's not suing me. I could tell him to buzz off. And what, what right does he have? What, what, what recourse does he have? If I refuse to fix his car and refuse to deal with it, what recourse does he have? He go to his insurance company and let them come after him. Yeah, and leave him out. Again, I think you should seek alternatives to the court. If he's my, I know he's my brother. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I think the court would be a last resort. You're not in it. You but, think I, the insurance company has Arbitration among Christians or see if the church can resolve the dispute or if that doesn't work in court. Would he, be, would he be wrong in ultimately taking me to court? No. No. Well, no. According to Paul, yes. No. No. no your your Christian brother needs to be reasonable. I think that, that's taken into the... Is this a blanket? Is this a blanket command that under no circumstances am I allowed to sue anybody who says they're a Christian? No, this is not. No, I think it almost is, except except for a few exceptions, and that's and that's what this is. saying there's things that you you have to go to court for, like divorce, or if you have an abused child, those things where the, the society is set up to take care of those circumstances. But as between disputes between brothers, I think it's almost take take the loss and not not now and, 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 and now now of course at any point in time we understand that John has the right to take the loss, doesn't he? Yeah. He has the right. It's his vehicle that was destroyed. He has the right, if he so desires, to just take the loss. He has a right to do that. But remember, what I was drunk when I hit his vehicle. So what what may come into play here? I know you would. I can't get my money from him. No. Maybe you're not a believer. I'm a believer. You're a drunkard. I didn't go after just to replace the vehicle. Because because not only not only did I destroy his vehicle. But there's a criminal charge here now as well, right? The law says 
So what should, should he try to talk the court into not not um, charging me with DUI? I don't think he has any choice because the law says that you can't drink and you can't drink and drive. That's between the state and all that stuff. Right. There's 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 another issue here that 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 is not with the property damage. There's a brother who should have been drunk. Right. I'm t I'm t I'm trying to throw scenarios out here. Some people say, well, under no circumstances ever can I ever sue a Christian. You know, under no circumstances can I do that. You know, if I go, you know, an another example would be, you know, I go to the hospital to have some procedure done on me. And uh, the doctor makes a horrendous mistake, and I'm maimed for the rest of my life. Am I allowed to sue him? Well, let's see. Does he go to church? If he's a Christian, I can't. If he's not a Christian, I can take every penny he has. But if he doesn't do the right thing, or if you don't do the right thing in this accident, the, um, the odds are you're not a Christian. He makes an honest mistake. The doctor made an honest mistake. No negligence on his part. It was just, you know, stuff happens. I have medical expenses the rest of my life. Or they have insurance. So am I allowed to? I don't. I don't sue the insurance company. I sue him, who is represented by the insurance company. Am I allowed to sue him for damages? You have insurance. It would be based on conviction, maybe. I've had someone hit me that was drunk. And I dealt with it, and the guy came clean. But I didn't. It was it was a minor car. It was I was coming off the freeway, and this guy smashed into me. And he got out of the car. He's all drunk. I said, "Stand over there." You know, I didn't know what to do. Talk to police. Talk to him. This didn't even check him out. I talked to him on the side. He said, "Look, I don't have my license. I don't have none of this." He says, "Well, give me information." I wasn't going to press charges or anything like that, but just something inside me said, just handle it. And uh, the guy, I told him I wanted to serve my check. Well, I'll take this car to a couple of places. It wasn't like a huge amount of damage either. It wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't get hurt or anything like that. But the guy wasn't a Christian, but he came through. I just looked at it as a way to show mercy and mm -hmm. you know, be a testimony for him. And as an. As an offended party, you have that right. Yeah, I had that. It was my. Opinion. You had that right I I, I to do that. I could have told the police, look, this guy's drunk. He just hit me. He didn't know. He didn't even know where he's at. I told the guy, man, just sit here for a little sober up till the police come. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, can we, we can work this out? We can work this out. In the back of my mind, I was like, this guy's not going to ask what he needs. And he's not. He's like, all right, give me the information. He came through. But in my case here, I'm. I'm an invalid the rest of my life. I'm disabled. I can't work. How do I feed my family? How do I pay the electric bill? How do I live? Public assistance. <laughs> I go on welfare, but I can't go on welfare because they only take it for three years. How do I live? Am I allowed? Am I allowed to sue for damages? Yeah. And why would I? Why would I be allowed to sue for damages? If it's an unbeliever, but not allowed if it's a believer in that circumstance. You're not talking to me. I got a different scenario for that. Because the problem with suing a believer is you entrust the decision to someone who's unrighteous. 
you got a dispute between believers, why would you as believers who have a higher faith of, of, of the, the truth, why would you as believers entrust the dispute to unrighteous people? Now, we understand at any time I have the right not to sue, right? I have the right. I could choose not to do that. I, I could make that choice. But in my case, if I if I don't have any income, I can't live. What do I do? Do I just shoot myself and be done with it? Do I just go on public assistance? Yeah, do I seek? God established the authorities. You know, the law system is established for the benefit of all mankind, not just if you're not a Christian, you still have to obey mm -hmm. the law if you're saved or unsaved. And God uses unrighteous people. Right. So there's, I mean, what's wrong with using the system? I mean, it's, it's the law. We're going by the law. Yeah. I'm saying you need to think about why would I be allowed, biblically, to sue a doctor for a million dollars if he's an unbeliever, but not allowed to sue him if he's a believer. I don't think I don't think it would work. I think it would work both ways. If you take the strict application of this and make it a blanket statement. Yeah, I think I think I think their situations were very petty. That's the point. That's the point, I think. We're not talking about criminal offenses. Yeah. We're not talking here about criminal offenses. Back then, if I stole something, what would I steal from somebody? Nobody had anything, you know. Or, and, and again, I think, I think John is absolutely right. At any point in time as a Christian, I have a right to not pursue a matter if I so desire. I have a right not to do that. But in some cases, I don't have that right. Like, for example, in the case of if I if I smash up his car, he doesn't have the right if he unless he wants to write the car off as a total loss. His insurance company doesn't it says, you know, we'll take care of this. You don't have to. The insurance company comes after me. And he may have to do that if he's got a lean, you know, if it's a brand new Lincoln Continental fully loaded. He may I may. Yeah, I know you don't drive that. Yeah. All right. But if it was, he, he may not. Ha it, it may be out of his hands because the the lien holder in that case, which would be the the bank or whatever, would have the right to come after me for that for that loss, regardless regardless of what. He, now he could always write them a check for thirty five thousand dollars, and you know, I'm sure he has that laying around in his petty cash drawer. All right. But the point is, what Paul is getting at here. Just got to think this through. What Paul is getting at here is petty disputes. We're not talking about criminal offenses. All right. And I and I think John has another valid point. As much as lies within me, I should try to resolve it outside of the court system. Well, it sounds like the way it ends is, aren't any of you smart enough to judge these matters? So he's sort of enticing them to to find a judge in the church to um, 
arbitrate or whatever you call it. But again, what matters is he talking about? Is he talking about criminal matters? Back then, criminal matters, everybody was just put to death. That was pretty simple. Take them to the city, exit and stone them. Well... See, I'm trying. I'm all. I'm, I'm trying to play the devil's advocate here and get you all thinking about. Okay, now what are what are the what are the very practical ramifications of this passage when we're looking at it? In today's society, Christians don't take them. Don't even try to follow First Corinthians six. I've had it in my in my cases. I've I've even suggested contracts between believers. Whether they be business contracts or purchase of a house or whatever, they have an arbitration clause of it. There's a dispute that it's resolved among Christian arbitrators. Uh, and, and you can put that within the contract, which says, I am bound by whatever the decision yeah, and, of the arbitrator is. But the people who are so worldly say, Yes, I, I'm, I know he's my brother and I know he's a Christian, but I don't want to put that in my contract. And, which I think is a reasonable thing to put in a contract, considering mm -hmm. that. Otherwise, if they do have a dispute, they have to present it to what might be an unrighteous judge or a non-believing judge. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, very few people in today's society even know 1 Corinthians 6 exists. They don't. And, and I, just, on, just so you understand here, I'm not advocating that as Christians we have the freedom to sue who we want. But the question I ask myself is, why is the litmus test before I go to court, is he a Christian or not? If there if there's a crime committed, why should I worry about whether he's a Christian or he's not a, a Christian? Yeah, how do I know that? These are petty disputes. Paul is talking here about the interpersonal petty disputes between people. But isn't the point that two Christians ought to be able to work it out? Sure. You two Christians. People, yeah. Like if I back into you out in the parking lot, I'm not going to say, sorry, Alan, you know, call the police if you got a problem. Yeah. And, and here's the problem. Most, most, and he, you know, here's our difficulty. And we're going to find this in the next chapter. I'm marriage and divorce and, and remarriage is that you have God's what do you want to call it God's perfect desired way to do things and then we're stuck in a fallen world where sometimes there's a disconnect I mean God's original plan for marriage is what one man one woman for life look how we foul that one up you know and, and, and remember what Christ told him, said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed it. But that was not God's original design. Divorce. Divorce. We're going to talk about that next chapter. All right. What we have here is we have petty disputes. We have two Christians that are bickering over some minor issue. All right. This is not an issue of life or death or anything like that. These are minor petty issues. And instead of working them out themselves, or as John says, allowing myself to be defrauded for the common good, I'm going to get my pound of flesh and I'm going to haul them down and I'm going to take them to court. 
and I'm going to take them before unbelievers and let unbelievers see just how carnal I am. Instead of allowing myself to, and see this, a lot of this goes back to allowing yourself to be defrauded or taken advantage of. We don't like to do that, do we? We don't like being taken advantage of. You know, and in my own case, you know, maybe maybe a way to bring this to bear um, is in my own case, I've had a particular Christian borrow money from me, claim to be a Christian, borrowed money, never paid it back, never made an effort to pay it back, never even acknowledged the fact that he owed me. And, and, and when I suggested him that, you know, the godly thing for him to do would be to honor his word, right, his commitment. He looked at me like I was an alien off of another planet and said, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't expect me to pay it back. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. He took advantage. Now, now, in his mind, he's the godly one because, you know, after all, if I was really godly, I wouldn't expect him to pay it back. And my point to him was, it's not the fact that you owe the money. The money is not that much. You made a promise to me. You broke it. That, that's a character issue for you, not me. But that's in the Bible. Yeah, it's, it, you know, but see, in his mind, believe me, I don't know how. He, I have to practice to think like he does, and even then I can't make it. Um, it's somewhere in the scripture, though. It says, an, evil man, money. an evil man borrows and pays not again. An you know, evil man does that. From my perspective, should I expect him to pay it back when I loaned it? Because he made a promise. Only because he made a promise. But okay. That, no. Yeah, that's the point. See, there, there's two. There's two issues. It's and, and I tried to make that clear to him. Of course, it didn't make any sense to him. Look, I I don't need the money. The money's not the issue. The issue is you made a promise to me. You gave me your word. You said you would do this. You didn't do that. And not only did you not do that, but then somehow it's my fault that you didn't do that. You know, and that's not the way a godly Christian would respond. And, and by the way, it wasn't just me. He did it to about 20 or 30 other people as well. I'm not the only victim in this in this crime here, so to speak. But now I had a choice. I had I could make a big stink about it. I could have taken him to petty court. You know, they got petty court down there. Get my money. I just said. I could have. I found out about this later on. No, about the other thing. But I made a personal decision. My personal decision was, like you said. And so be it. So be it. You know, because, you know, and by the way, I did bring the issue to the church, to the leadership of the church, not only because I was being defrauded, but there's a bunch of other people in the same boat. And um, he finally did the godly thing and left open door because we were all persecuting him. <laughs> and he went to another church and started all over with a new crop of gullible believers. Um, look, look, well, folks. Right. And see. Right, or not. Yeah. And so the way you got to deal with that is through church discipline, 
through, you know, the Matthew 18, you have to go that route. Whether you like it or not, you got to go that route. But you got to take your personal offense out of that. All right. We had a guy who was doing work for like people and his wife was complaining that the job wasn't done and we had to like referee it. Basically, it came down to the guy was not putting anything in writing. So when the people were like, well, you said you did the garage, the roof, and the back of the house, but he would quit at a certain, when he felt he was done. But his complaint was like, he's not done. And he's like, yeah, it is. And then the first thing we would say is, what do you have in writing? We had to teach him, you know, that you need to write down everything and they need to sign off it because you're in our church and you're doing jobs for people. So if you don't have nothing written down, and then he was like, well, I did this. He, he would calculate, like, everything else he did. You know, I cleaned this out. I bought a dumpster. And we're like, that's good. I was a good intent in your heart. He was really honest. But uh, he wasn't writing anything down, so there was, all, there was this confusion. Mm-hmm. But it worked out. You know, they didn't go to court or anything like that. They just... So like, okay, what do you want him to do? What okay, what can we agree on? What can we write down? Mm-hmm. And uh, that that word. Yeah. Or people that co sign. There's people yes, that co sign for people. Yeah. yeah. When I come to Omega, you know, United States immigrated, I learned three things. If you want to be successful, you you get the American dream. Three things that I needed. Good lawyer, good CPA, good accountant. And there's good uh, education. So he needs to have writing. Mm-hmm. I never, when I business for something to do, no writing, I don't want to do it. Do it. Mm-hmm. Always writing first. Yeah. And then I'm going to show to my attorney, he read it, everything fine, and then I do it. I sign it. Where do you he find a good attorney? Writing. Always trouble. <laughs> Yeah, Where do you find a good lawyer? I want to know. Where'd you find a good lawyer? I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They will change my people. And what Christ, what Christ says is he wants us to be people of integrity. If we make a promise to someone, whether it's in writing or not, we're to keep it. We're, we're to fulfill our obligations. All right. The sicky thing is in business, you got to write it down so that both parties understand what's required of, of both parties. Um, Alan, can we go back to your example real quick? Because I think yeah. one of the points in here was that the church shouldn't, uh, the infighting shouldn't be apparent to outsiders. Mm-hmm. And I think in your example, if it's the example I'm thinking of, this is a, a story that's been broadcast on the news as a, um, uh, you know, here the church is, someone in the church failed the uh, other believers and it's reputation spread rumors. Yeah, and, and all the word has been dragged through the mud over the past couple of years mm-hmm. over this incident, where if it had been solved in house, what what's that? What, what some, there was some investments. The the lawsuit that that yeah, yeah we you know that that that's I got to be careful what I say on that because I know a lot more than I can talk about. Um, yeah, I know it all. But the um. You know the lawsuit that that's facing open door. You know, yeah. We had we had a man. This is not the man I was talking about. Somebody else, but this man came in and 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 in my opinion, basically defrauded, cheated people out of their money. You know, and um, he doesn't have anything to pay. So what do they do? 
Well, we'll sue Open Door because he went to your church. And you don't want to know how much money we've spent trying to defend ourselves on that. Okay, so that's okay. That's not what I was thinking. Yeah. That doesn't really apply. Well, it does if these people are Christians. Think about it. Think about it. If you're a Christian, what are you doing suing a church? Right, right. That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's exactly an example. And see, that's what Paul's trying to get. You know, if it if it's up to you, and and I think John has has a valid point. If it's up to me, I would rather be defrauded than sue people. Or to harm the image of the church. Yes. And see, that's the other thing that people don't take into consideration. You know, and, and I, I I just don't understand. You know, folks, you know, the, the church, people in the church need to think outside of themselves. In the sense that. When you when you are when you are petty when you follow this lawsuit route and all of this kind of stuff you're making Jesus look bad you're making Christ look bad is that what you really want to do I don't think so you know that I think is the main uh, my observation the poor talking about um, no law. In, in Acts is the chapter one is the Holy Church and before uh, after um, the Holy Spirit coming they share together mm-hmm. they believe it. they call the brother and sister and then they share together they don't without a prophet mm-hmm. but in modern century and always talking of thinking about what's my prophet mm-hmm. what's good for yeah. I don't want to lose anything. No love. That's why always they argue each other. And they, they... I mean, really, what the, the model Paul is saying there is, is, is it's like one brother in a family suing another brother in a family over some petty, petty thing. That, that we, we, you know, now, now there are other considerations. There's criminal activity that comes into play. Then we have an obligation to society, right? I, I just think you need to be careful in the church so when people come in purposely and attempt to, to get in with each other. And part of the job of the pastor is to weed those people out. Yeah. You know, Paul said, if any man does not work, he shouldn't eat. That's not hard to understand, is it? We make it hard, don't we? Paul is talking about petty disputes, and he's encouraging the Corinthian believers, instead of hauling everybody down the court, raising a big stink, making the church look bad, what should you rather do? It's better if you allow yourself to be defrauded than to make Christ look bad, the church look bad, and ruin the reputation of the church. That, that, that's, it's better that you be defrauded. And again, you know, we got we got to bring in the understanding. These are not criminal offenses Paul is talking about here, and things like that. This this is this is petty disputes. You borrowed a sack of potatoes from me and didn't pay it back. I'm going to haul you to court and get my sack of potatoes back. You know, that's the kind of stuff that they were doing back then. You know, and that's what Paul is discouraging here. If somebody comes in and murders me or murders a family member, 
you know, I don't, I, I can't say, oh, gee, I forgive you. You know, just go quick. If you, if you leave, you'll get, you can be able to get away before the police come. No, that's not, that's a criminal activity. That, that needs to be stopped because you can go next door and murder the neighbor or something like that. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about petty disputes. And you see in here, if you, verse four, if you then have judgments occurring things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? And, and, and by the way, in those days, what were the judges known for? Bribery, corruption. The way you got your, the, the decision to go your way is you paid the judge off. That was common back then. I mean, remember the story of the persistent widow. What did the judge say? You know, I don't fear God, and I certainly don't give a rip about this woman, but you know she is wearing me. I'm getting sick of listening to this woman. I'm going to take care of it just to get her to go away. All right? Because judges were paid off in those days. And Paul's saying, why are you going to go to the outside judges who are known for their graft, known for their bribery, to take care of your little petty disputes? I say this is to your shame. You should be ashamed of doing this. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brother? Isn't there anybody in your church qualified to judge this? It's almost like he's deriding them. It's like, what's the matter with you people? Are you all stupid? Are you all without sense? Isn't there anybody there that can that can arbitrate this? Yeah. Why do you got to haul him out to court? But brother goes to law against brother and even and that before unbelievers. Pettiness. Petty disputes. I, just, I, I don't see where you're reading that it's petty disputes. Why? The con, the, let, me, let, me, let me just. Okay, go on. I think the distinction is between civil disputes and criminal disputes. Right. Civil, I, I don't think it should matter how much is involved. If, if you're a believer, if you sue somebody for whether you sue somebody for a hundred thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, it should. I don't think. I, I think it's. it's I'm on. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I agree. I think. I think we this get is. Confused when we start talking about being injured by a doctor's negligence, which is that that's still civil, but it's it could be criminal. Against a different criminal case. It could be criminal. No, not if it's what you, exactly yeah. you use. Or, or, or here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that, that they didn't have that we have, and that is we have the insurance industry right. that right. covers such exigencies. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and part of the reason you pay insurance is why. So when somebody makes a claim, you have coverage. That 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 is a little different there. Mm -hmm. All right. I think in that even with that situation where you're. You're harmed by by a Christian doctor, who was negligent. Mm -hmm. You should be slower to sue that Christian doctor than an unbeliever. I think we doctor. should. I think you should be slow in both cases. Mm -hmm. All right, but if it comes right down to it, where I have a choice between, you know, I live or I can't live. And I'm not prohibited from suing that Christian doctor for damages. Is he going to do the right thing? You know. Being sued? Well, I don't see that. You have lots of time to talk to him before you file a Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think in that case, you know, I mean, I don't think God would say, okay, you know, 
if he was an unbeliever, you could you could go for it. If he's an unbeliever, if he's an unbeliever, go for it. If he's a believer, don't. Which is a worse testimony? Yeah. They're both bad, sort of, aren't they? I mean, I'm just saying you got to think through this. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is. I'm saying in my own personal application of this, I would be extremely slow to sue another to, to sue another Christian to take them to court. I I'm also would be slow to sue you know an unbeliever as well. I would be slow to to sue them, but um, you know in the case of insurance and things like that. Um, we have that legal recourse in our society that's built into the system that I can do that. That that remunerates me for significant loss, or in, in, in the case of you know malpractice or something, not being able to work the rest of your life, you know, have, having to provide an income somehow. And you're right, there is a difference between criminal. And civil. And at any time, as the offended party, you have the right in a civil matter to drop the case. You have a right to do that. It's a hard thing, though. I mean, that that friend of yours, if he had loaned, if you had loaned him one hundred thousand dollars instead of five hundred dollars. Well, I didn't. Would you be more likely to sue him if it were one hundred thousand than if it was five hundred dollars? That's that's the ultimate question. Yeah, it's case by case. It's case by case, well, but, but 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 I think I think I think I think John is right in that case. No. In that case, no. No, you wouldn't sue. I would find it. I would find it. You know, well, you just call your boys up and say, "Go work them over." You know, um, uh, to me, to, to, I would. I, I'm just saying. You know, I'm 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 really coming from the same viewpoint you are. I would be hard pressed to do that unless there's a criminal activity involved. Yeah. Now, where where something may come in. Is I may, if you defrauded me, I may sue you not for my own pound of flesh, but to prevent you from doing the same elsewhere. Now that's a tougher one. That's a tougher one. You say that you want hundred thousand dollars back to you. You don't say. I may not get my money back, but I may raise it as an issue of law. And it may be, you know, you would be criminally charged for what you did. I would not, you know, be part of the case. I would not, you know, try to sue you for the money. But I may, you know, alert the authorities to your nefarious actions so that they could come after you and prevent you from cheating other people. I have a question. How, how often... Can I go after my kids to get my money back? You can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, not soon. I'm, that's not even. That's part, not part. Yeah. How, how many times can I go to them get my ask for my money back? As many times as you want. Part of part of you know raising them is making them keep their word. 
That's a tough one. Yeah. But you love money all the time. I'm you know, that. you know. <laughs> well, I've gotten to the point. I have, I have, I have a brother who, who, who struggles, and I've gotten to the point. I don't loan him money. I'm too weak. I give it to him. You know, I, I give it to him. But I, I go back to that scripture where it says, and, and I have to admit, I have to admit, he's come a long way in his life. You know, and, um, you know, one of the things I did is, you know, I gave him some money and he painted my kitchen for me. You know, it's one less thing I have to do. But it, it makes him feel like, you know, he's not a mooch or something like that. As Christians, that's what we, you know, we should do. We should not want to be a mooch. Then you let you know. him paint your kitchen and you didn't paint him. I paid him. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. I gave him, I gave him, I gave him money. And he says, is there anything I can do to help you? And I said, yeah, I need my kitchen paint. Okay, fine. I'll paint the kitchen. You got to understand, you got to understand there's two, there's two, there's two things in tension here. Right? And this, this, this is, this is, this is the thing. There's two things in tension. Tension one is from my perspective. From my perspective, I should give that without any intention of repayment, right? Right. But from a character perspective, for him, it's a character issue. All right. He would feel better if he did something as appreciation for for that. Not that he has to. Not that he has to. But it's just. You know, it's just. Just don't pay me back. Well, I mean, an example. Um, you know, personally, John did my um will a few years ago. He said, "I'll do your will for you." And said, "Only if you charge me for it." <laughs> now I'm sure. I am sure that John did not pay me the full. I mean, John did not charge me the full amount he normally does. But I said, I don't want I don't want you to do it for free. I don't want to take advantage of you. I want you to charge me an appropriate sum of money. If John has said now, now he has a right to set that. I don't know what it costs no, to do well. He has a right to say, I'm not going to charge you. He has a right to do that, but I wanted I wanted him to not feel obligated that he had to do that. Now how'd you come by that? That's me. I don't want if somebody gives you something. If John came to me and said, "I'm going to get, I'm going, I give you a, a, I'll do your will free coupon." All right, and he said, "I'm going to do it for you for free. I'll do it for you for free." And he he initiated the contact. You know, he has a right to do that. He he can do that if he wanted to. I initiated the contact. I said, "I need a will." He does wills. He said, "I'll do your will for you." And he said, "I'll do it for free." Then no, he, write it he didn't say for free. He never said it never came up. But the first thing I told him was the first thing I told him was I, I don't want you to do it. I, I want to pay you for doing that. I don't I'm not gonna take advantage of you. You 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 charge an appropriate level of money, you know, because that's your, that's his livelihood. That's how he pays his electric bill is by doing wills. As Christians, we don't want to take advantage of other people. Now they may they may decide that they're not going to charge the full amount. That's their business. But I'm not going to I'm not going to expect them to give me a discount. 
I'm not going to expect that. You know, I saw many times in American life, and you know, I, I sometimes I visiting my uh, friend house. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, the parents, their kids, the college kids, maybe uh, mm-hmm. the the growing kids, they they stop by the summer vacation time, whatever. The parents charged charge him all food, all charge. I'm surprised because of my Asian culture, we never charge my, my kid, you know? Doesn't matter they're growing people. And mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'll move in permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember I had one. Yeah. That's an exception. Most parents don't charge. Most people don't. say, okay, you want to drinking? Whatever you're drinking, this side is okay, but this side don't, don't touch it. Oh, well, that's that's a different. Okay, well, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. I'm yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I I do know a man that that when his when his kids turned eighteen and they got a job, he charged them rent. All right. And he said, I gave I gave them all the money back. When they got married, I gave them all the money back because the issue was not the money. The issue was to treat them, train them that. You know, you got to you, you, you got to pay your way in society. You know, sometimes it's good. Yeah, because they're growing, uh, right. keep coming. They may be clear, but in my culture, always my my kid always they think it's free. Oh, yeah. my parents have everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes good. Sometimes good. And see, and see what you. I'm not saying yeah. that's bad. But see, what we have here, what we have here is we have, there, there, there's things in tension in, in the Christian life. You know, and the thing we got to be careful is not let one thing just completely overwhelm the other. If you are one that you're constantly giving people stuff and never expecting responsibility or proper, you know, action out of them, you know, you're going to be sucked dry in no period of time. And listen, here's the other thing. You're not doing them a favor by allowing them to get away with that kind of behavior. You're not helping them. And they usually we're too late. Yeah. I'm too late. <laughs> you know, so so you've got you've got these things in tension in our life. Are we going to be defrauded? Yes. Paul's saying it's better to be defrauded. All right. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be defrauded next time you show up and want something else. All right. People take that. I say I I say I I say I and I look in them in the eye and I say, you know, I thought you were too, but I guess I was wrong no, about you. All right. Now, yeah. This is just so that you know you're not alone here. There's a couple of people in the church I do returns for. Mm-hmm. And I offer substantial discount. And they, they really don't want, you know, they said you you gotta charge. So they give me back a substantial tip. <laughs> but, they <do. laughs> yeah. but they refuse they don't want you know, they might to think you question over your uh, with fellowship and things like that, that there should be any real special treatment. And, as, I'm giving them a break. And, and what Paul, what Paul is trying to get at is our attitude as Christians. We should be very quick to give and very slow to take. You know, um, Paul said, "I have a right to be supported by the churches, but I don't exercise that right. All right, I don't exercise because I don't want anybody to think that I'm in it for the money." All right. And then his next line was, I'd rather die than give up that boat. 
Yeah, he said, I'd rather I'd rather die than, than allow myself, allow you to think that I'm in this for the money. I'm in it for financial gain. And I know in my own personal life, I'm very quick to give, 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 give. It's very, it's hard for me. I'll be honest with you. It's hard for me to, to accept a gift because I want to. I'm just more comfortable giving than taking. All right. Um, you got to learn to do both. But but as a as a as a practice, we should train ourselves as Christians to be giving people, not taking people. You know, not well, you know, Bart's a Christian. He, he needs to give me a 50 percent discount to do my taxes. You know, now, wait a minute. You know, if he's 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 paying his electric bill by doing those taxes. I don't have a right to expect a discount. He may give me one. That's his. That's up to him. But I can't expect it. That's got to come from his side, not from my side. And, and I think as Christians, we should make it clear that when we do business with other believers, I don't expect you to give me a discount. I don't expect that from you. This is your livelihood. This is your job. This is what you do to make a living. Don't don't treat me different. I don't want to defraud you. All right. And Paul is saying here to these people is that you are so fearful of being defrauded that you're dragging them down all the time. It's another failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be what? Cheated. Now, if somebody cheats you once, should you let them cheat you again? Yeah. <laughs> Hit me again. Yeah. <laughs> fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame or fool me one, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's a quote from Star Trek. I like that. But um, because 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 you're not doing them a favor. You've got to hold them accountable. In the case of my this person, I was talking about my friend. I thought I suggested to him that before I would help him again, he needed to go get financial counseling, at which point he was just livid that I would dare suggest such a thing to him. Which tells you right there where he's coming from. And I'm not I'm I'm not making this up. We we had a this particular guy and I we had a falling out. And a few years later, about ten years later, we got here's a person in the, fan, in the church that really wanted us to get reconciled. So they arranged a meeting between he and I and a couple of the pastors and, and they were in there and, and uh, you know, we had a, you know, we had a, a good time there, you know, and supposedly, you know, we worked things out a little bit, you know. Um, and then he came over the next week and the first thing he asked me is he wanted to borrow a thousand dollars from me. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> I had not seen him in 10 years. The first thing he wants is $1,000 for me. And I suggested to him that, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable just giving you that. But, but I'll tell you what, I have some things I need done. He, he was a cabinet maker. He made cabinets and done things. I said, I need some shelves and cabinets in my office upstairs. You come over, put those in. I will pay you a top dollar to do that. I'll give you your thousand dollars, you know, to come in and do that. Hey, great! No one, I'll, I'll get back to you. That's the last I heard of him. That's the last I heard of him. Now, in his mind, I'm an ungodly person because I refuse to give him the money. 
but I've been burned. No. No. Not at all. And, and see, I'm not doing him a favor by contributing to the delinquency of a minor. You're not doing people a favor. All right. So, so yes, you may allow yourself to be defrauded, but Paul is not saying, okay, go let yourself get cheated again by the same person. Allow them to persist in patterns of bad behavior. You know, allow them. No, he's not saying that. Okay. Children are the same way. They, they will spot a sucker a mile away. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, they'll find that spot every time, you know, it works with substitute teachers or mm -hmm. parents. And don't defraud the pizza lady. All right. Whatever. Stick it in for me and I'll pay you when. when yeah. All right. And he says, uh, he says, verse eight. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brother. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know that unrighteous people don't get to heaven? Now, this is a, this is a fascinating passage here. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't don't allow yourself to be snookered by this idea. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Who doesn't get into the kingdom of God? Yeah. Now you look at that and you say, now wait a minute, I thought... I thought the way you get to heaven is, you know, faith alone, right? Christ alone. W what is this here? Is this a works-based salvation? Um, does this mean if somebody's a Christian and they cheated someone that they, they lose their salvation? What's this saying? Yeah, that's another thing to understand. This is habitual sin. You show me someone who's a habitual fornicator. They're not Christians. They're not a Christian. Now, can a Christian commit? Yeah, sure they can. But it's not an habitual pattern of their life. Because what does Paul say? Verse 11, and such were some of you. In other words, you used to be that, but now you're not. Now, on a scale of 0 to 100 on spiritual churches that Paul worked with, where was Corinthians? They're about a zero. It's actually about a negative 10. I mean, they were below the scale. And remember, Paul called them saints earlier on. The point is, believers are not like, a believer is not characterized by these sins. You may commit a sin here on this list, but this is not your life. Help me with, how can this UCC and Episcopalian Church how can they do what they do in, in light of this? Because what they do is is they 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 take the hermeneutic of love as a trump card over everything else. All right. And they say the problem with Paul here is he was just a male misogamist, homophobic wasp of the first century. So we can just, you know, he, he, he was obviously unsophisticated, backwards, didn't understand the total complexity of the human sexual psyche, right and therefore, yeah.
Yeah, that was then, this is now. And the hermeneutic of the love of Jesus over, you know, goes over whether you're a homosexual or a sodomite. I think that's probably what you're pulling at there. The homosexual or sodomite. One, and interesting, one of these, these two words refer to the one who, homosexuals want effeminate. In fact, some of your Bibles is effeminate. That's to take the, the, the passive role in a homosexual relationship or the arsenokoitai to take the male role in the, in the homosexual relation, the, the, the aggressive role. He's saying sodomy, homosexuality, you don't get in heaven. If that's your pattern of life, you don't get in heaven. But if they take me to the extreme, they allow them to become leaders in the church. Well, when you ignore the word of God, you know, you can do what you want, right? But it's taken centuries for them to, yeah. to you know, fall into that belief. But the belief is, I remember, you know, when I was listening to something, when, when the first uh, Episcopalian was, was ordained, that, uh, <laughs> Robinson, um, somebody, at, there's this lady on Fox News, I think it was, and he asked her, well, you know, what do you think Jesus thinks about this? And she said, Oh, I believe he's just jumping up and down with joy that they finally got over their their uh, their hang-ups. You know, it's like, well, I know where that lady's going. <laughs> All right. The, the point here, this is the thing that Paul's trying to get through to them. Habitual sinners whose lives are characterized by these sins give evidence of what? They're not a Christian. He's not talking about people who commit an act of sin. We all fall into that. These are patterns of life. This is this is what you are. I was taught in Corinthians the history of some of the, the governors or the people that were over Corinthians. Uh, this area, they had homosexual concubines. Oh yeah, I mean the, the Roman emperors did. So he was addressing that. So for them to say it wasn't, you know, applicable to what they were going through and now. Well, he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. He's talking to the people there. Yeah, for the churches to say, you know, Paul was that way because yeah. he wasn't sensitive. Well, that was... Oh, they had him back then. I mean, the Roman emperors had him. Yeah. The Roman emperors had male concubines. They, 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 I mean, homosexuality was rampant, especially in the Greek culture of that time. I mean... I, it was just rampant. I mean, and, and, you know, Paul's trying to get at, you know, as, as a believer, you're not, you're not like that. You're not to defraud one another. You're not to, to be this. You were that, but you're not that anymore. You were, you were washed. Verse, verse 11, you were washed, you were sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You used to be that. You're not that anymore. You're different. You're changed. And, and, and one of the problems that we have in the churches today is that there is a disconnection between what you say and what you do. You can say you're a Christian, but you can live like the world. But it doesn't matter because, after all, you say you're a Christian. I've known people that said, well, you know, I remember when I prayed and asked Jesus into my life. Now, of course, I'm a homosexual thief, but that doesn't matter because I remember when I... Whatever. That doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You could sign all the cards and walk down all the aisles and throw any number of pine cones in a fire 
and it won't make you a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? Because you're not like this. Paul is saying you weren't. You're, you're not like that anymore. That's what you used to be. You're not like that. You are like that. You're, you're working through it and you're repenting. Yeah, you're struggling with it. You're torn apart. You're, you know, but but you show me, yeah, uh, yeah, and that, you know, they have the Metropolitan Church in New York where, you know, they're all homosexuals. The pastors are homosexual, and you can go there and be a homosexual, and you know that, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, well, does Jesus love all sinners? Well, yeah, he does, but the same Jesus that died for you is the same Jesus is going to consign these people to the lake of fire for eternity. There's no different Jesus. You were this. You're not that anymore. Don't don't live like that. And Paul is saying, you know, he segues into verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'm not brought under the power of any. He's changing the subject now. And he comes back to this later on in verse in chapter 8. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Verse 12, Paul is trying to get to this point here. Um, he, he's hitting a common, remember, what was the dominant philosophical viewpoint in the Greek culture? Remember we talked about this early on? Dualism, matter, evil, spirit, good. And evidently what had happened in the Corinthian church is they'd gotten into this trap that, look, you know, there's nothing we can do about the body. You know, the belly for food, the food for belly. You know, why did God create your belly? To eat. So eat, 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 eat. And Paul's saying, well, God's going to destroy both, the, both, both of those. You're making a false dichotomy between Matter and spirit. What you do does matter. And, and what happened to the Corinthian believers is they had tricked themselves into thinking, look, it doesn't matter what sin I am in, provided I believe in Jesus, that's the thing that's okay. That's what makes it okay. And what I do with my body is irrelevant. You know, I can't keep my body from desiring immorality and sexual pleasure. Therefore, why try to stop it? Just have at it. After all, I'm saved myself. I'm going to heaven. So it doesn't matter what the body does, because after all, someday God's going to, I'm going to die and be released from this flesh. So why am I going to even try to deal with it? I give up. Just let myself go. And Paul is saying, you know, that's, God, why did God save you. Did God save you so you could just sin? No, He saved you to transform you, to make you like Him. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.